This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Diversity at Facebook is a big issue. I asked product designer Carla Cole how having a diverse workforce affects what Facebook creates. I think that having a diverse workforce can only help us in connecting more people, which is the mission, um, Facebook's mission, is to connect people around the world. And I think in order to do that, we have to understand the people that we are, are working for. And it only helps to have those types of people and that diverse people on, t- on teams. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, MailChimp is looking for the following positions. Software engineer, senior software engineer, iOS engineer, Android engineer, data engineer, data software engineer, director of product engineering, and director of mobile engineering. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts, and when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. And if you're looking for even more jobs, then become a member of our Slack community and join the jobs channel. See you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Join more than 15 million people who use MailChimp to not only send emails, but to grow their businesses on their own terms. Start sending professional-looking newsletters to your clients today for absolutely free. By the way, have you seen their new marketing campaign? I mean, it's, it's everywhere here in Atlanta. It's on commercials, on bus stops, on billboards, etc., uh, it's kind of a pretty fun play on words of their business name. If you remember the whole uh, serial ad with the woman saying uh, "Mail Kemp." Anyway, we'll put a link to it all in the show notes so you can check out the entire campaign. And if you want to sign up for Mailchimp, head on over to Mailchimp.com. Mailchimp, send better email. When you have a great idea for a project, you need to give it a great domain name. And guess what? Finding the perfect domain name is ridiculously easy with Hover. You know what else Hover makes easy? Setting up that new domain with the most popular website builders out there. Just use their Hover Connect feature to set up your domain automatically in only a few clicks. No more digging through a whole bunch of help articles or knowledge-based pages to figure out how to get your domain working. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's hover.com forward slash revision path. Hover, domain names for your ideas. SiteGround's hosting services are crafted for professional, personal, business, or enterprise projects. So whether you're building something custom or you're using a CMS like WordPress, like what we use, SiteGround lets you build better, faster, safer websites more easily, and they offer multiple hosting options so your websites can grow into them. And we've got a great deal for you. I mean, it's really fantastic. Visit SiteGround.com forward slash revision path, and you can get 60% off on all hosting plans. Now for this week's interview, I'm talking with London-based creative technologist and product designer, Alex Fafega. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. I'm Alexander Fafega. I'm a product designer, creative technologist. been working in this whole like, spectrum of design and technology for the last six years. I'm a creative director of a small design studio in London, where we work with like the government, I mean, the country's national health service and the BBC to develop a number of digital and physical products. Also working with a number of um, startups as well in the UK to design their products or visual designs or branding 
or whatever they need to do. We're just really a bunch of crazy black creatives who just, you know, really push ourselves out there. To be honest, that's what we do. No, that's, music. that's yeah. dope. So yeah. congratulations on your work with the BBC. Can you talk kind of about the work that you're doing there with them? So last year, we've been selected as one of the digital studios to work with the BBC on a two-year contract and working on a lot of, on some of the things that the BBC are working on. So it might be a BBC website or it might be a new children's app or it might be a redesign of what the BBC currently offer. To be honest, I didn't really know much about the BBC's digital stuff until I, we actually got selected on. So at this current moment, it's more, they've offered us a number of opportunities and we're trying to go back and forth with them in order to turn that into like a design realization. So it's just currently back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with a, a number of projects that they're looking to introduce over the next few months. And what other types of work are you doing with them? Just that, really. Just really design work with them. So a lot of the UX, UI, interface design. So a lot of really digital design work with them. Okay. Are you finding that it's it's different doing digital work, I guess, for a big television entity like the BBC as opposed to doing it for a small business? Yeah, because um, they, they, they one of the things... Because I'm trying not to reveal too much without getting in trouble. <laughs> it's, it's the, the complexity involved. So when you're working with a technology startup, which has probably raised like a million pounds or something, you know, you've got a very laid back culture. You know, it's probably just a CEO with maybe a marketing person already. And then you come in and you're, you're, they've told you their vision and you're building their vision for them. It's a laid back feel. It's a scrappy feel. And it's very fast paced and very back and forth, you know, and very, um, and when you're working with large companies, you know, that have a number of like guidelines that they must follow. And a, a lot of the stuff is very complex. It's, it can be very daunting being in a small studio trying to work with a large organization where their demands are very high. And you want to be careful as well because you don't want to take on a project that you said you can do mm-hmm. and it fails because that's, the small reputation you do have can be destroyed and yeah. a lot of legal stuff can come that way. So you're always going back and forth with, can we do this? Are we actually sure we can do this? And, and you have to have that confidence in yourself because, you know, as, as, as you want to grow the studio, you want to have bigger projects. You want to work with bigger clients. You want to, you know, be able to talk to people about what you do and have fun. Like, yeah, the um, BBC iPlayer. Yeah, we designed that, you know, just all these sort of things, which, plays into that sort of uh, would I say ego I don't know if it's ego but like you know I feel like creatives are one of the most egotistical people ever and we just want to work on cool stuff which you know can pay the bills and you know continue building our name out there yeah how do you find that you balance you know having the small stat that you say you have kind of working with the studio and you know juggling what could be these very high volume demands for a big client how do you juggle that this is the issue. <laughs> which oh, that's, that's, the, what, uh, <laughs> that's what you're trying to figure out. Yeah, that's what we're trying to figure out. Like, that's literally at this current point, that's the stage we're trying to figure out. Like, um, cause I set up this company with two other black creators, the Kill and Richard. Um, and when we set this up, we set this up as like a sort of thing of like a side project. And then what happened is that we just went into like a number of startups that started setting up offices in the UK and started raising money. And we just happened to be at the right time, which then thought, okay, cool. We have to turn this into a business, which has all these functions in place. And how we've managed to grow the company so far is, is the combination of having in-house people and having freelancers. We depend, we use more freelancers. And, you know, one thing, why do we do that as well is because building a sustainable studio is very important. You know, I've been self-employed for the last four years and I want to continue being self-employed, but you have to do that in a way which is strategically and makes sense. And so you've got to think about it. You know, these technology startups, they may not give you repeat work. Yeah. And if you look at the big creative agencies, how they've managed to stay for 20 years is because they have a big, massive client who's been giving them repeat work for a number of years. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we're trying to do is have that mixture of repeat work and new clients. So finding that balance is one of the hardest things. So a lot of the business development efforts sometimes can take a lot of your time because I'm still blurred between I want to focus on just creating, but then I need to go out there and do business development. So yeah. I'm blurred between that complex stage. I don't know, with you and lunch, how do you do it? Oh, well, that's a good question. <laughs> how do I do it with lunch? 
I was kind of at your spot, I want to say, maybe about three years ago. So I've been doing lunch now for eight years. And yeah, yeah you do get to the point where the work tends to outweigh kind of just what your, your current staff is. Yeah. What helped me, honestly, was just being firm with newer clients or work coming in to let them know this is our workflow. Like, this is what it is. Because what will happen, you know, when you're doing your business, you know this, you want to try to take on everybody because you want to be able to get the business coming in and working. But, you know, there's a threshold that eventually Mm -hmm. you're going to surpass where you've got too much work and not enough manpower. And even if you're reaching out to freelancers and things like that, everyone's got their own schedule. Now you're project managing on top of other work that you might be doing. It just ends up becoming too taxing. For me, I just had to give like a firm cutoff. Actually, it's funny. On the last version of the website that we had, yeah, um, we had a traffic light on our contact okay. form. And so if it was green, <laughs> if it was green, we'd say, hey, we're looking for new work. Let us know. If it's yeah. yellow, we would say we're approaching, you know, kind of our threshold. We're not taking on any new clients or anything right now. If it's red, it's like join our waiting list. Because mm. right now we probably wouldn't be able to get to you until six months from now. Okay. And what will happen is the clients that will want to work with you, they will understand that. Mm. They will understand. They will stay on because they want to work with you. They know that there's something about you or your studio that they can't get anywhere else. Yeah. The ones that will go away are usually the ones that need something super quick or they're not going to be great clients. Mm. Um, you just have to you have to draw your line in the sand to say this is where it is because there's only so much that you can do to, yeah. at some point before you're going to have to expand out and if you're at the point what it sounds like right now is that you all are kind of really taxed yeah. with a lot of work and then not enough manpower you just have to draw your line in the sand and say right now we're not taking on any new engagements yeah. if you want to get on our waiting list that's great if not you know unfortunately just come back to us later I think Based on that, I think one of the things I'm really interested in is is this machine, this automated machine, which works. I don't know, like this formula, like if there is a formula, this automated formula where, you know, um, you have where the work comes in and and you don't have to like dig deep as much. Like because one of the things that, you know, and you notice yourself is when you're writing like, I don't know, like 10 proposals a day and only get one client. You know, from it, and and how do you like looking at? You know, I've been speaking to a number of like different um, creative agency founders in the UK and London, just talking to them about their different processes in terms of that sort of that relationship. And you know, some founders have said, yeah, you, you know, you need to grow. You may lose money when you're growing, and then you could have this period where you make more money because of the growth. I think it's balance. It's just balancing all these things and these all these fears. You know, and and. And I think this is, especially being a black creative founder, where you have all these like issues and you'll think to yourself as an imposter, like, can you really, you know, is this really possible? You know, um, and like, you know, so a lot of the time I take a lot of inspiration from American creative agencies because that's where you can really hear their growth. And I think Americans are more transparent about their growth than um, British. And, um, you know, so I, I get a lot of insight from America. Interesting. That's a, I didn't really think about it that way, about us being kind of more transparent. I mean, eventually you have to figure out what's going to work best for you and your business. Mm. Everybody's business is going to be different. The way everyone works is different. Yeah. And really, the more you work with your team, that's when you'll discover what that, that automated thing is or that, that formula, whatever that is, that will help out with um, – that will just kind of help out with that. So I can tell you, like, for me, things that I do – so, like, for writing proposals, we use a, a proposal software service mm. called Noose. Okay. That, that basically lets me sort of, like, plug and play different elements of proposals together into one proposal. So, I'll have – I can pull an introduction from here, a recommended strategy from here, a pricing table from here and something, put it together in one thing, and it'll take me maybe 30 minutes to push out a portfolio, whereas before that might take me half of the day to research and write everything out. It's sort of like templatizing whatever the proposal procedure is. Also, you know, I don't know what your what your intake process is, but I think that could also help with metering out what your workflow is. So yeah. Depending on how you get leads, if they're coming in through your site or what have you, putting them through a specific kind of onboarding process 
you'll find will weed out people that are just sort of tire kickers, meaning they just want to know the price and that's it, to people that actually really want to work with you. Yeah. So for me, I will people will contact me through our website. And then usually, depending on what they need, we'll have them fill out a form for a request for proposal just to get more information about what they actually need. Because some people will just say, I need a website. How much does it cost? Mm. Well, I can't, I can't just give you that. I need to know more about what you need, what yeah. your time to your constraints. Yeah. I need to have all that information. So they'll fill out an RFP. From there, we'll schedule a call. And then I'll get on the call with them to get more information based off what they submitted on the form. Yeah. And if I think we can move forward from there, we will. And then, you know, from there, it's sending them a proposal. They accept the proposal, send the contract. They sign the contract, send an invoice. They pay the first invoice. We get to work. It sounds like a long process, but if the client is serious about it, you can get it done in a matter of days. Yeah. Sometimes a matter of hours. Well, not hours. In a matter of days. That's the truth. You can get it all done. That's a dream to get it done now. Yeah, that sounds similar to our process. Our process is because a lot of our work has been around a lot of digital health. I've had to change the portfolio rounds because we signed a lot of NDAs, which means we can't actually resolve. That's another frustrating part is NDAs. It's really frustrating. Yeah, it's way at the time. But especially in the digital health space where a lot of these sort of, it's very young in the UK. So I don't know how much the digital health space is in the US, but in the UK, it's very, really young. So you've got a lot of these startups who are raising money, um, and they're creating their products. There's this sort of competitive nature. So nobody wants to really reveal what's going in their products to the space because they feel like another competitor will copy it. So that's like the sort of culture that's in this digital health space in America. I mean, America, so in the UK right now, which is really frustrating so with us what would happen is that we normally get referred or the work that we do with the nhs which is the national health um, service that's one that's a prominent client for us the work we do there had brought a lot of sort of um, a, a small reputation for us so when people want design work or technology work creative technology work they would you know um, be referred or send an email and say hey we'd love to talk to you guys um and we'll definitely we'll go for a meeting with them, try to find out about their company, try to find out about who they are, trying to really spend a lot of time understanding their user because, you know, we're really focused on um, human-centered design. Um, and we'll just have a conversation. And if they want to go forward, we'll send a proposal to them. And then, you know, the next step, you know, the contracts. We work by day rate, so we don't do... Um, so we, we charge by day rate, depending on how many people's on this project. If, is it a developer? Is it a designer? Does it do a project manager? You know, and then how long the projects? We try to go for a lot of long-term projects. So average number of projects might be six months. We just, a longer standing client, we just recently ended a contract with them. That was 13 months. So, you know, those type of, you know, strategies in place in order for us to get long-term growth. You know, and that's, especially working in a digital health space where there's also another issue is the money is also very small because not every startup's really getting efficiently funded. So that's the kind of, because we, we target a lot more technology companies. That's where we really, 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 our niche is this really technology startups working in that space. No, it's good that you said that you do a day rate. I do the same thing. Yeah. I do not, I do not charge by the hour, largely because my days are so different. Yeah. That oftentimes I'm not spending, I don't want to do like two hours here, three hours. Yeah. Here, and yeah. That. Because as you know, you'll start working on something and you'll find it's going to take longer than those yeah. three hours. You're kind of selling yourself sure. short, and it'll it'll cost the client more. Really, if you estimate a ten, it really took you fifteen. Yeah. Now the client thinks that you're just slow and lazy. Yeah. And you're like, no, it just it took longer than I expected, and this is what we're charging you. Doing it for the day at least means like, hey, this is who you have. Yeah. Lot of that 24 hours in the day, it doesn't mean we're working all 24 hours of the day, yeah. But you've got us retained for that amount of time, uh, yeah. And then we learned that the hard way actually. Because when we first started, we started by just as a mistake, which maybe a number of creative agents you founders may who might be hearing this, especially working on like apps and stuff, was the biggest issue we started doing was milestones. And we used to do this thing of okay, this milestone it would take like a month to do this milestone. And, you know, one thing about working on technology, sometimes things don't always go to plan. And what would happen is the client would dispute and say that this doesn't complete the whole milestone. And then you would go back and forth for a number of while. So you set a month to bring in this money. 
and you get paid on the bulk of this milestone. And what's happened is that you've gone back and forth with the client and this might have taken two months. And what means that they haven't paid until that milestone has been completed and that's two months gone. And when you're creating a company balance sheet, that is very a very dangerous way of running a business because, you know, money's coming sporadically and it's and it can be really depressing. And so we had to think about that. And I think it's also, like I said, the whole thing which I keep mentioning is the imposter syndrome. Having the confidence to be able to charge a day rate and then finding the clients who would be able to also agree with that day rate. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so making those systematic changes in order for you to run a sustainable company. And I think once we made that decision, that's what's helped us be, you know, get the work that we need to do. So how do you choose your clients? So we have like criteria in place. So it would be like a technology startup and they would have to, we would say they've raised this much of money. And um, a series A of like maybe a million or two million pounds only because if they, they've raised that much, they're able to afford our services. We also look at the product itself. You know, if, if what they build in, is it really exciting? But we worked on a number of projects helping clients who one was a sort of, um, um, a WhatsApp for healthcare service, which was really cool. Um, I can't really go much into much details about that, but it's been rolled out in the, um, in, in the test, but that was really a really cool product really that was really cool um and that's something that because when you're working on them products we're trying to build our reputation as well so we want we want to be known for these guys who work on the innovations you know not just common stuff and we do take a lot of the projects which is like simple stuff you know it might be a website for this organization and they're willing to pay we will take that on because that adds to this balance sheet but a lot of my vision and my preference is trying to go for this really futuristic type innovative projects, you know, this whole physical and digital experiences, because that's where I want to be at. I want to be at the cutting edge of the of, um, yeah. project. So you've got to strategically find where these startups are and try to find your way in, you know, and that's like, you know, being at these events, being in all these places, also taking authority and speaking. So I have spoken at a number of events, especially about design, especially around healthcare. I'm talking about, you know, to design for the patient, not for the solution, because a number of healthcare applications don't actually really provide any sort of solution for patients. And doing those type of talks where you're talking about things which people don't talk about, you know, people pay attention to. And I remember setting up Script Hustle when I spoke at an event and I said, some days you can be the token black person because they're like, oh my God, who's this guy? And everyone was excited and, you know, they want to talk to you, you know, um, and I've kind of milked those opportunities in order to help, you know, my design studio to get to those places. Hey, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I mean, that's what you have to do as a, and that's something I don't think that people understand when they first go into entrepreneurship. I certainly have worked with and heard from other entrepreneurs that feel like they'll just open their website, they'll sit back and the jobs will start coming in. I'm like, look, unless you have a dedicated business development person, yeah. you have to be a, you have to be hungry. You have to go out there. You have to find the work. Unless you're just one of these great marketers that can yeah. make, you know, some kind of lead magnet that will draw people to you. You have to, you got to hunt yeah. for your own, basically. If you don't have that, because we don't have a business development person, and we've been thinking about that in discussions to rehire a business development person who to be focused on doing that because to be honest you don't actually really want to do that but this is like all these challenges of being a, a creative entrepreneur and you know these things but these are the fun of it these are these are the boring stuff that i don't care about but because uh, <laughs> i work with richard in the kill and richard would more look at the organization purpose like making sort of organization a kills also a kill is great he's probably one of the greatest people i've ever met for business development he's a extrovert like really really good at what he does like there's times when we first started and the kill would come into the office like late and we would be like, bro, where you been? And he'd be like, oh yeah, I went for drinks last night. But because of that, you know, we've got this company saying, you know what? We like you guys. You want to do work. And I, I'm really grateful for having those two around, you know, in, in my life because I, I don't know how I would have done it. There's also as a, even a, being a creative entrepreneur and any advice to anybody who listens to this podcast, you know, if you are going to pick a team, pick look at the attributes you may not have and try to find those in those people around you. Right. And uh, I think that's really something I say when I speak, like if I go to speak at events, I hate the term entrepreneur, but because it's been over glamorized in the UK, I hate <laughs> it. 
Oh, it's if you think it's been over glamorized in the UK, it is it is terrible here. There's all kind of like the preneur yeah. part has been added to so many different words. There's entrepreneurs and solopreneurs <laughs> and mompreneurs, yeah. and it's like that's not yeah, the word. Yeah. That doesn't make yeah. any sense. <laughs> You know, like I don't know what's your, your experiences on that. What's your like thoughts on that word entrepreneur? Like, would you you call you call yourself an entrepreneur, right? Or you don't? Or what do you say? I don't know what I call myself these days. I guess you could say entrepreneur. I mean, I feel like you know that is the the good catch-all. Yeah. Like I tell people, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a designer. I'm a podcaster. Mm. Um, I'm a digital creator. Yeah. Like it's. It's so weird because titles are such an odd thing in this industry in general. Yeah. And I think certainly once you start getting to entrepreneurship, when you can really call yourself whatever you yeah. want, it can be a help and a hindrance. Mm-hmm. So in my studio, like I say that I'm the principal yeah, yeah, yeah. of the studio, but some people get principal confused because they think I mean principal like a yeah. school principal. And because my studio is called lunch, they sort of <laughs> there's that weird like school connection that they yeah. think goes into it. But then what I do is kind of more along the lines of a creative director because I'm overseeing a lot of projects. I also do business development stuff. There's art direction. There's a lot of different kind of things that go into it. I wouldn't give myself one of these long multi-hyphenate titles. But I usually will say either entrepreneur if I'm just talking about all the work that I do. Or if it's just with lunch, I'll say I'm the principal of lunch. Yeah, I think for me, I just say I'm a creative director. I like creative director. It's amazing. And just leave it like that to me. And then sometimes people can think you work for the firm. And trying to, I don't really care. I feel like the entrepreneur, they expect so much things with it. And I'm like, whoa, you know, I really. So that's like really this whole thing of, I don't know, that term entrepreneur in this sort of design sector. I don't, I, I don't know. I think when I look at, you know, designers who have their own design studios, you know, they just, they seem to be more interested in the work. And they know that at the end of the day, they're getting paid their fees that they, they're charging these companies for. So I think for me, I'm really interested in that sort of ideology of that. Then really talking, you know, yeah. So I rather be want to be spoken about the things that I have created than the rest of it. And just pay that I get paid handsomely well, because that's the dream. All of us is to <laughs> get paid handsomely well, because you know, yeah. that's, that's the dream, yeah. Well, I mean, it's about the work because, you know, you're in a position where you are the one that controls the work that comes yeah. in. It's not like you're working for an agency and it's whatever comes in from the top. If you go out and use, you, you know, find this client and you woo this client, clearly you want their yeah. work. So you want anything that you do to be work that you're excited about, that you want to show off, that you want to do. So, yeah, you do really, really want to be about the yeah. work. I've sort of balanced over the years, I've balanced my studio with work that I've really wanted to do and work that is just, it pays bills. Yeah. You know, like you have to kind of strike that balance. Like luckily I've had Revision Path as a side project mm. for the times when my regular work that I'm doing with my clients is not super exciting. Yeah. It, it'll pay the bills, but I'm not, I'm not doing cartwheels yeah. over it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's also the thing is how do you, that's, that's that thing is building that. You know, how do you, you know, I, I don't know. I, like, I have friends, like, I'm writing a piece, a blog piece about um, black creative agency founders in the UK, and which is rare because there's hardly any. But okay. I was speaking to one of my friends who runs a creative agency, but they've also set up a startup, and he's more interested in pushing the startup further than, you know, the agency because he feels like there's more growth potential there. You know, so that's even also the thing about agencies as well, is that is there growth potential or do you have to be strategic? And where you put you you place yourself in order to, you know, grow or to have that sort of sustainable revenue machine, which and also brings in good work at the same time. Where do you see yourself with uh, the growth of Comusi? Like, where do you see it going in the next few years? Um, I think because I'm also doing, I've also lived a double life somehow by doing postgraduate research in design futures and and innovation. I think I'm trying to push the company's position to be around these sort of um you know the physical and the digital worlds um really pushing into like the smart technologies sort of um area smart cities area as well like and because i know that's like the future and i know that if you can and like digital health in the uk is also like a young market and we've kind of really grown ourselves in there 
and looking at these areas where they're emerging and trying to place your blueprint, your imprint at very early stage. So as the market gets bigger, people are aware of who you are and, you know, you can grow. I'm hoping maybe I would have ideas for startups. I don't really have an idea for a startup anytime soon. I kind of like working on other people's ideas because I feel like I can sleep better at, at night doing so and then setting up my own startup <laughs> if I don't have that large financial sort of connections in order to get that to life. And that's also another thing as well is, you know, as a black startup founder, you know, um, is there investors here who would care about you or invest in your startup, you know? Maybe it's the same thing in America, you know, you see the Tristan Walkers or Bevel, but, you know, I don't really know others, but here in the UK, it's probably much more, even worse, the sort of state of everything, yeah. yeah. Talk to me about this double life. You briefly alluded to it just earlier. Yeah. You said something around research. Yeah, right? so I'm doing postgraduate research at Central St. Martin's School of Arts and Design. So Central St. Martin's is really known for its fashion design expertise. Um, and they do have like product design courses and product design things. So I'm doing postgraduate research in the future of technology, of like how technology is becoming more human and how design will would lead and would help or would, I don't know, would would achieve that purpose of technology becoming more human. So you see like stuff like Amazon Alexa, which is being placed in our homes and, and it's, you know, it's, it's basically becoming more humanized. I'm doing research into a lot of the dangers of that, like stuff like Amazon Alexa, mm-hmm. where, you know, it's a very great piece of technology that Amazon's made. But there's things about, you know, Amazon Alexa spends a lot of time observing a lot of the conversations that we have. So right now you and I could be talking and it is observing. And the question is, is where, where was those information being stored? Who is, who's having access to this information? Who is storing this information? With the humanization of technology, are we even safe? You know, in all these different, you know, these really dystopian views and the utopian views. So I'm really interested in those two areas. And, and, and also because of, I do have like a second dream of, probably spending a lot of time in academia because, um, you know, the creative institutions in the UK, they do lack a number of um, black individuals. You know, there's a very small number of them. You know, theories might be that A, they don't even know that these institutions even exist, or B, they probably don't see people like them there, where they feel comfortable to have that. You know, there's loads of sort of um, these complex theories and things that go into why there's probably a small number of, um, you know, black individuals and creative institutions but this is why through this is why i set up the creative hustle which was um you know a sort of social good project which is really focused on um getting young creators into creative roles creative opportunities and um and also aiding them creative education you know um, in terms of education in terms of their their skills you know if they want to become freelancers teaching them business skills you know um and and all these different things so it's still, we ran the first event last November. It did really well. Got a number of brands have been interested. A number of agencies have been interested. A number of organizations who really promote design and advertising in the UK are really interested in pushing it forward. I've just been so busy to this year. So I'm trying to focus on the growth plan for the Great Fossil and turn that into something which can be sustainable. You know, um, it's like a side project like Provision Path, you know. And going through that whole things of, you know, you know, like you've really achieved, like you're going to your fourth year vision path and you've really achieved a lot of cool stuff with it. But, you know, how I want to be able to do that same as well and, you know, get to four years and know that in that four years, I've actually done something with it. And it's, uh-huh. yeah, so that's the whole sort of thinking where I am at that current stage. Well, I'll tell you how you make that happen. Mm. And for people that are listening, they can... <laughs> they can take notes on this too so first it's definitely about being consistent mm. there are going to be people that will try to take a lot away from what you're trying yeah. to do they will always try to find something wrong yeah. with it the one thing that you don't want them to get at is your level of consistency yeah. so being able to crank out and do like i don't know how often you plan to do the events but if it's every yeah. month every other month do whatever it is you have to do to make sure each event comes out in a consistent yeah. manner. Because what that shows is your commitment to it. It shows your community that you're committed yeah. to it. 
And it definitely shows sponsors that this is something that they can get behind because you're establishing a routine. You're establishing a pattern yeah. to do that. So that's the first thing. The second thing, once you've, you know, maintained this consistency and you don't even have to do it for a long time. You can do it maybe for, I don't know, like six yeah. months to a year or so. Once you've maintained that consistency, start surveying and asking your audience what you can do to improve, to make it better, things like that. Of course, you want to get demographic information, you know, age, gender, income, etc. The demographic information that sponsors would want to see if they want to sponsor your yeah. event. If they say, oh, you're getting together black creatives 18 to 25, mm. we want to be a part of that because that's who we're trying to reach for X, Y, Z. Because you kind of have to put it... You have to get those same demographics and things because when they're looking at sponsoring any sort of events, they need to see some sort of a a marketing kit yeah. or something that has that that data. So that's the third thing. Once you have that data, whether you do a survey or whatever you choose to do it, get that data, put it all into a an easy document, yeah, like a sponsorship kit. So that way it's something you can easily send out to as many people as possible, whether it's email or physical mail, etc. So they can get a good idea of like, this is the overview of the events. These are maybe some pictures. These are, you know, these are the numbers that we get from month yeah. to month. And then they can say, okay, well, this is something that we want to, you know, kind of throw and put our money behind. And then that's pretty much what you do. Yeah. I mean, you like for me, for sponsors, I just ask, like I always, people always ask me, how did you get such and such as yeah, a sponsor? Yeah. How did you get Facebook as a sponsor or whatever? I just ask them. Mm. Because I've got the consistency from doing the episodes every week. I survey my audience at least twice a year. Yeah. So I have that information. I update my kit every three months yeah. just to keep it up to date in terms of statistics. And then I ask because I'm armed with as much information as any company would need if they want to you know, sponsor for yeah. anything. And then I use that sponsorship money and I invest it right back into the business for infrastructure, for personnel etc and you just kind of rinse and repeat and the sponsors that you have as long as you keep your consistency unless something drastic happens with them financially they'll probably come back so that's kind of the the secret just keep it you say you've already done the first event think about whatever your schedule is going to be and stick to yeah the guys at google yeah yeah the guys at google helped out for that so they so they ran it at google campus in london I mean, then a few brands in London sponsored the event. It was like, um, so I'm trying to, so what I'm going to do is probably design this platform or just like where they can get a lot of information. Cause I'm really focused in two areas, which is creative education and job opportunities. So I have been speaking to a number of recruitment companies who hire on behalf of like the design fields in order to, you know, have these sort of conversations in terms of, because one of the things that a lot of, recruiters are saying so one of the recruiters at the event said is that when they go through their job applications one of the things they say is that they don't see any black person applying and so you have a group of black people across the room who are saying we do apply so there's like this debate contrasting debate going on in terms of you know we do apply are you even paying attention to us or what's going on there so i'm really interested in those in facilitating the place where these conversations can happen because there's a diversity bandwagon currently going on in the UK, you know, because of all the events across the world, across the Atlantic as well, that also gets pushed here. And the bandwagon probably is focused on more probably women, more white women. Okay. But, you know, they're probably missing out, you know, people of colour. And, you know, in the creative agencies in the UK, there is rarely people that work in people of colour. Like, we've got a group of us, called um, eight and something and we met up at facebook and we're looking at ways on how we can go to like the different schools like primary schools and secondary schools in london and colleges in london where we can speak about what we do as black creatives in order to inspire them to make these decisions so like there's a lot of like pending issues and initiatives which are being set up in order to target this area so you know the uk is smaller compared to america so you know getting news across about initiatives can travel faster and travel you know every london's where a lot of these things are happening where a lot of the creative agencies are you know um, and so it's you know london's a small it's a big city but it's a small circle once you know everybody and you pushing your initiative across is 
it's easier that way. I'm not sure how it's like in America, but you know, um, for us here, it's much more easier to push your initiative across and get more people to pay attention to it just because of the smallness of of where the networks is. You know, London, you know, it's not like America where you have Silicon Valley's for tech and you have New York for culture. Um, you have LA for um, films and stuff. London is where all of these things are put in together. That's really the truth. That's how, you know, so it's much more easier to push initiatives here. Yeah, America is, I don't know, it's kind of weirdly spread out because aside from, you know, just it being larger geographically, mm-hmm. I think there's also certain perceptions that people tend to carry with them from people that are from those areas. So I'm here in Atlanta, which is in the southeastern part of the U.S., yeah. you know, just colloquially known as the South. And I'm from the South, born and raised, but the perception of people from the South in other places in the country is that you're slow, mm. you're dumb, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so a lot of tech and design things sometimes, you know, particularly conferences, yeah. events and stuff, tend to skip right over this whole part okay. of the country. And when I say, you know, the Southeast, I'm talking anywhere from like, <laughs> if you if you picture, you know, the, the South is like Florida, yeah. Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, Virginia, West Virginia, Arkansas, mm. Louisiana, all that gets like ignored. Maybe a few cities in there might get, you know, singled out. Maybe Atlanta, maybe Miami, anything else in there. It's like, oh, you people have computers down there. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that that yeah. even existed in your part of the country. That sort of, which is, is a stupid thing to think about, but that can be a percent. I know I've certainly gotten that from people. Like when I've been out to Silicon Valley, when I've been to New York, they look at the South and think that it's mm. it's backwards. And so even though I've been doing Revision Path here for four years, people think I'm based out of like California okay. or they think that I'm based out of New York. I'm like, no, I'm based out of Atlanta in my bedroom yeah. here. <laughs> That's where I'm based out of, you know. So it's it's this weird kind of, I don't know, perception. Maybe it's stereotyping a bit as well as to what it is. So it can be harder sometimes unless you know the right people, unless you can push out what you do to the right people. I have often wondered how much bigger my impact would be if I were in mm. New York versus Atlanta, just in terms of the people to talk to, the companies that are there, etc. It's different. It's just different. Yeah. What, and what's the creative agency space in Atlanta like? Is there a sort of a number of creative agencies in there? Or? There's a number of agencies. We have large ones like JWT, BBDO, we have a lot of small to mid-sized agencies. I'm not too keen on the agency mm. space. I don't know it too much because I've the work that I've done aside from my studio has been yeah. corporate work. Like before I started mm. my business, I just worked corporate. I worked at AT&T. I worked at WebMD. So I'm not too familiar with the agency space. I'm trying to get more mm. familiar. But then also I'm just kind of focusing on yeah. my work and the work that I'm putting through my studio and hopefully Atlanta will recognize that. Like I'm trying to do more things yeah. locally now. I don't want to say put Atlanta on the map, but I'm trying to do more things locally to show there's more coming out of Atlanta than just peaches and sweet tea, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And is there like a black creative, I don't know if you know, but is there like a sort of black creative co-founders like yourself or founders who set up agencies in Atlanta or is there, I don't know. Is there? Uh, there, there probably are. I mean, it's, it's a lot yeah. of people in Atlanta, so <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's there are more than just me. But it's you know it's a matter of finding people. I mean, sometimes people get an agency, and when you're there, you're there. You don't mm-hmm. think about what can I do to to kind of make a bigger impact outside of the work that I do. Yeah, yeah, agency, I get you know it. what I mean. There's a lot of people that'll get in the company and that's that's where they stay and it's comfortable. They got to check mm. every two weeks. That's what they do. Yeah. You know, they're out there, but I just yeah. I haven't found, you know, not all of them yet. I'm certainly, you know, talk to people in different parts of the country here in Atlanta. It's been it's interesting. I don't want to talk down about it and say it's bad, but it's been it's been interesting. I'm working as well as I can to try to connect dots between different yeah. communities so more people can talk to each other instead of across each other because atlanta even though atlanta is a pretty black city it's also fairly segregated when it comes to 
a lots of things and the design community is yeah. no different. So I'm just trying to be the person that can bridge the gap between these communities and have them talk to each other and work together. That's my yeah. new goal. That's one of my new goals. So, yeah. yeah. That sounds really cool. So when did you kind of first get involved with design? I mean, clearly you wouldn't be this this deep into it if you didn't have this kind of abiding passion for it. When did you first kind of get the spark for saying this is what I want? I think I did an apprenticeship. And I think, because I've always been blurred. Sometimes I call myself a design technologist because a lot of my, I'm always thinking about design and I'm also thinking about technology at the same time. And, and I was really interested in terms of trying to create things which can cause impact um, and trying to create things which can help people. And obviously when you're reading a lot of times into design, you know, you've got really all these kind of like, gurus or these people who position themselves as gurus and influencers and they write these books which can be really inspiring and I just thought you know what this sounds really cool I don't know what I'm doing I'm gonna learn <laughs> did an apprenticeship where I was able to in the UK did a design apprenticeship where I was able to work on things and then really I just had this vision of I want to work on healthcare projects I want to work in healthcare and it was like this big kind of like shift in the UK where the buzzword design thinking started coming into play and so started pushing for that, oh, that sort of um, design thinking type focus. And I just got driven by it and the impactful thing. You know, I think it's also, I think it also might be my conditioning as a black person as well, because, you know, we are, we, you know, we are raised and pushed to, to work harder than everybody else and, and reach for your dreams. And I've kind of really, just followed those sort of teachings and kind of adopted that to my day-to-day lifestyle. You know, it's what kind of what drives me and what I think about really and truly is just impact, 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 change, change, influence. Like, that's a lot of the time that goes in my head and it's, it's been moved by a lot of my decisions for working like organizations like the NHS, you know, which I'm really proud of doing. You know, um, we do a lot of design workshops with them. We've helped them launch a number of initiatives to get some innovations into the NHS. You know, so that people like my grandparents who are chronic patients can, you know, use these different, you know, technologies or different products. And, and I can say that I can say in the back of my head or have that legacy that I had influence to it. So I'm really in this sort of um, philosopher position in life now. I'm thinking of trying to push, you know, I just don't want to make stuff that pay the bills. I want to make stuff that really changes the world. So you've got to find those companies who one of you believe in your vision as well and you can work with them so you know um, my, my thing is obviously as i over the next few years there will be those opportunities that come my way and i can i can prove what i'm saying to people and not just making it talk is cheap type stuff so you know design is really really you know because i'm really interested in, like i said I, I keep talking from a product design perspective so you know i do do a lot of visual, i have done visual design work but I care more about the product design world, you know, design and products that can change. So that's like my driven goal, I think. Did you have any mentors or anyone that yeah. has helped you out along the way? A mentor I have had is um, Jim Dalton. So um, Jim, he's um, worked at a number of like the product design firms. So like stuff like uh, um, working at IDEO, um, Design It. He's worked on like irons, which people don't care about but like best old irons and, and like for the last few years he's been working a lot on the technology space and um i met him and he said a lot of the stuff i was doing was very naive uh which you know for when you've been spent for years and people's been praising you well done oh my god it's so amazing and then somebody says to you no this is naive you know um, and he really helped me to refine my design thinking process and really helped me to design my methodology and He's a very, like, he's very respected in the UK. He's one of the top industrial designers. So that really helped me with my design practice. Um, and he's somebody that I would call on for a mentor. So, um, yeah, Jim, shout out to Jim. Um, really, really cool person. And helped me in a spiritual sense as well. So he's a really cool, really cool dude. And I think that's what we need as a, you know, good mentors really help you good mentors really help your design practice people who are experienced i think you can only be better as a creative individual through experience i feel like the more experience you have the more you can go into projects and you can in that back of your head that wisdom you've developed you can handle things much better also the danger of experience as well sometimes is not to get too 
caught up in your ego and said, I've been doing this for many years, so everything should work this way. Also finding that balance of wisdom and risk and just take risk to approach projects sometimes, which, you know, um, could bring, you know, so that's, yeah, a good, a good mentor. It's been really, really been helpful in my career. As I hear you talking about design and your philosophy as a designer to really kind of make and create things that that have an impact and aren't just to kind of pay the bills. I feel like that's something a lot of, you know, younger designers need to kind of take to heart when they think about how they can use their skills to, you know, make an impact in the world, not just create little WordPress themes <laughs> and browser polyfills. How is the work that you're doing? How are you leaving this planet a better place than when you got yeah. there, that sort of thing? And, you know, we talk about, you know, leaders of design. I mean, you've alluded to what the design scene is like in London and you've spoken about kind of diversity and things like that. From your perspective, what do you think stops black designers from becoming leaders? I think it's, you know, Samuel Mensah, like Samuel Mensah, um, he's a very talented designer, very talented designer. And one of the things he, he wrote in this Design Week article, which I would advise everybody listening to this to actually read because I thought it was amazing. And one of the things he identified was when he was studying graphic design, he never read about any black graphic designers. Like he never studied any black graphic designers. And sometimes that can have a sort of thing where you haven't been seen, you haven't seen leaders, design leaders. There's one design leader, um, Eddie Opara at Pentagram Design. You know, and very cool uh, guy. He's yeah. a British guy, so I'm happy for him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would love to meet him <laughs> one day because he works on a lot of digital stuff and really cool things. But I feel like maybe we're not, I don't know if we're told to be pushed or I don't, I actually can't, I can't give a good answer here. I think it's maybe, I don't know, it's these designers working for themselves or are these designers who are working in industry and in, in, in agencies where they're probably seeing the lowest part of the agency and maybe they don't, they probably don't have that vision or to push. I don't know. I think for me, my philosophy comes from the, fact of that because I am self-employed and I think there's a sort of thing with self-employed where once you've achieved certain barriers you begin to develop this crazy ideology in your head that you can achieve a lot of stuff and I think maybe that's you know maybe that environment's not there for them to think in that type of way or maybe they feel like imposters this is what I keep talking about the imposter syndrome you know when you are when you're in a place where you don't even feel like you deserve your job and those are the type of stories I've heard of a lot of um, black creatives when they're working in like really good firms and like, you know, sometimes I don't feel like I deserve my job because I don't even feel treated perfectly, you know, and, and all these things can play into people not going out there to be more than just, you know, making WordPress streams, you know, and trying to, you know, work on projects which can be, you know, really push yourself out there as a career. As a career, like I, I recently worked on a, some um, promotional posters for um, the Tate Modern, so they're really nice some art museum in the UK. And I worked on a number, of, and that was an opportunity that I decided to take because of um, I wanted to push my name out there more. And I'm driven by that, and that might be because of my self-employed journey. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good answer, but <laughs> it was a hard question to think. But I think, I think it's, I think it's people knowing about people like yourself. Um, people like Eddie Opara, who has done a lot of work and he's on YouTube. People could go out there and watch him and, and see him, you know, um, and maybe, you know, the creative media can write about more black leaders who are hidden figures. I don't know. Have you watched the film Hidden Figures? I have. That was a good, that was a good (laughs) kind of comparison there. The hidden figures of design, because there's probably a lot of hidden figures of design that we don't know. And if, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking off the top of my head. I know when I think of design and advertising, there's, there's mm. George Olden is one. He was a, a designer in like the yeah. 40s and the 50s. There's certainly lots of uh, of mm. black architects. I can think of cartoonists like Jackie Orms, who was a very popular mm. black female cartoonist. There's a lot of them out there, and I mean, I mean, it's funny because we're saying hidden figures, and I mean, we're looking at it kind of through a a historical sense, but I mean, there's yeah. figures working today that are doing great work that we don't know about. And part of what I try to do with Revision Path is to mm. uncover them through 
these interviews so people can hear yeah. from them in their own words about the work that they're doing. You know, like I told you before we started recording, the majority of the guests I've had on the show have never yeah. done an interview before. So when they talk to me, I'm the first person that has actually asked them, you know, what do you do yeah. and why do you do it? And, you know, tell me about your work. Like no one has asked them that. And why no one has asked them that, there could be a number of reasons behind that. But the fact that someone did reach out and ask them can mean a lot. I mean, certainly there's folks that have been on the show yeah. that have come back to me later and has said that that interview has been like the springboard for so many other opportunities just because of that yeah. one thing that someone heard heard them someone heard them or someone saw them and said hey i want you to be in yeah. this i want you to work on this so it's it's really kind of that's what i'm hoping you know revision path is doing yeah. to continue doing this work is that it it shines a spotlight on those folks so it, it is kind of this weird psychological thing where you can't yeah. be what you don't see and you know the design media and i have been a, a big you know critic of this for a long time is how the design media reflects only a certain monoculture to people about yeah. who can be a designer and what types of designers are yeah. doing impactful work when design is something that is for everyone because everything that we touch and interact with is a designed experience in some sort of way, whether it's the clothes we wear, the, the tables we eat at, yeah. the cars we drive, somebody designed that. And so because we have always had all these touch points throughout our entire lives yeah. with design. What does it say to people when what's reflected back to them is that, oh, only yeah. white men are designers? What if I'm a woman? What if I'm yeah. black? What if I'm Asian? You know, what does that say when it looks like, oh, I can't be that because this is only a profession for yeah. this type of person? It's wonderful. It's one, I'm actually looking through your podcast. I actually need like you've got some really big names there like who people who've been vocal like erica joy she's been vocal yeah. about diversity and she's a hidden uh, something i call a hidden figure and it's really great what you're doing because you're giving the limelight to these people because like one of the things we're trying to do in the uk actually is trying to find black product designers like a friend, a friend and i were trying to find black british product designers and it's been hard like it's literally been hard like, like it's literally been hard and maybe you're not trying enough, but you know, I mean, it's literally been hard to find these individuals. And I think maybe, maybe it's different because of also, you know, theories can be the, you know, migration. You know, a number of, um, of black people in the UK either come from Africa or they come from the Caribbean. And, you know, so, so it could be, so a lot of us are like second generation black people in the UK. So maybe yeah. there's a thing where, you know, for the future, it's really trying to target these young individuals from early and trying to plant seeds in them and trying to facilitate opportunities for fert fertile ground. Because you can plant seeds in people, but if there's no fertile ground for them to grow, nothing can happen. So that's the type of things I'm trying to really get involved in, just so that the 180 people that you've done, they could be more hundred and eighty people for you to do. What is that type of thing, you know, that type of vision, that dream? Well, let me know how, you know, Revision Path can help you out with trying to find some black British product designers. I told you there's already been a few uh, black British yeah. designers that I've had on the show. So maybe through them, they know some people. I know there are people that I've reached out to recently. Well, somewhat recently, like people that have studios, like I'm thinking... God, what's the name of their studio? Okay. Quirkology, I think is what it's called, something like that. It's these two women, Tam and Sam, Samantha and Tamisha, I think are their names. Uh, there's a guy I reached out to recently named yeah. Laith Wallace, L-A-I-T-H Wallace. Um, I think he does like UI, okay. UX work. So he might be someone, he's, he's, he even has like YouTube videos. Okay. Like if you search his name on YouTube, you'll find him. I think he's... Uh, black british guy you know i think once you start putting yeah. the call out there and you really start looking and i'll tell you one place to look and i don't know how big it is in the uk but what has really helped me out a lot okay, is linkedin yeah. and i know and i know people hate linkedin people have all kinds of yeah. perceptions about it linkedin has helped me out so tremendously with the success of this show in just finding yeah. people to talk to like looking through someone's connections and being like oh here's Here's someone, what are they doing? Okay, let me reach out to them and talk to them. It has helped out 
so much. So even like if there are friends that you know, like you, I mean, you're working with two other black designers. That's yeah, um, that's good. Like honestly, that would be something here in the U.S. that mm. could be a rarity in terms of like. I know people that have been designers that they've been designers 20, 30 years. I've not worked with a single yeah. black designer at all. So the fact that you've kind of got your studio and you've got two people there, and if this is a project that, you know, Kamuzi wants to do, whether it's an extension of creative hustle yeah. or what have you, I mean, that's gotta be worth something. I mean, I could even put you in touch with, uh, with John since you, well, you kind of probably already know him, I guess through, through Samuel, but I can put you in touch yeah. with John Daniel who's he's been a creative director for like yeah. 20, 30 years now. And I think he'll, he could possibly also help yeah. out in some sort of way. So remind me to do that after, after Thank we're you done so with the show. Thank you. Oh, no problem. Well, you know, I know we've talked, I mean, we've kind of been all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you see yourself personally in the next few years? What do you think? You um, really trying to lead on, a lot of um, smart cities work. So I'm really interested in the future of cities and how cities will become and the built environment, you know, architecture, you know, interior design merging together with technology to create this sort of um, 360 experience in terms of our homes, in terms of our hospitals, in terms of, you know, wherever we go. So I'm really, I'm really trying to be pushed for that and, and like really trying to, get myself in that place you know that's where i'm really interested in and i would love to be involved in there and also to inspire you know many of young black creatives and developers you know um who are hybrids you know and you know i'm grateful that i do have the design and the technology skills and i want to push for more of that you know and 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 we can be more than you know um what we think we are told that we can you know just those those type of things. That's really where I'm really trying to, hopefully I see myself five years from now. You know, so I have to be, yeah, sorry. And just, and just to be no, consistent sorry, as well. You've got to be consistent. Like you, like you mentioned before, it's all about consistency and progression. You know, and so. Yeah. So just to wrap things up, where can our audience find out more about you, about your work, your projects? Um, where can they so, find all that online? So com. As my personal site, Kimuzi is www.kimuzi.xyz. Really like the .xyz domain. I'm on Twitter, so Fefega. So I think my surname will come up on this, but F-E-F-E-G-H-A and underscore Fefega. Um, I'm at Instagram Fefega underscore sketchbook, which I just use for random stuff. But that's where I can be found. Creative Hustle is creativehustle.org. Those are the different things I can think of now. But thank you so much for having me on the um, on Revision Path. Oh yeah, I was I was gonna I was gonna wrap it up there. But yeah, thank you, thank you for coming on. I know it's it's late there in the UK as as we're recording, but I mean a lot of what you said about kind of I, I really like the the passion and the the thought that you've put in behind the work that you do. You know, it's not just about you know, like you said, doing stuff that's going to pay the bills or look cool. It's about what can we do as black designers that can have a social impact um, in the community. But also it's, you know, the fact that you're doing these these events through Creative Hustle where you want to branch out and kind of bring more people in with what you what you're doing, find more black designers out there. I mean, I'm all for that. That's what I've been doing for the past few years. So I've always glad to see other people taking up the charge as well so thank you so much for coming on the show i appreciate it thank you Thoughts of love are and that's it for this week big thanks to alex fafega and thanks to you for listening you can find out more about alex and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com also thanks as always to our sponsors facebook design mailchimp hover and siteground Facebook invests in design. They care deeply about how their design team might do their best work, and that manifests itself in a number of different ways, such as showing how internal design critiques work at Facebook, sharing resources about VR and other cutting-edge tech, and by giving away great tools and resources like Origami Studio, popular device templates, and even diverse hands for mock-ups. 
Learn more about Facebook design at facebook.com forward slash design. More than 15 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to grow sales and make money in their sleep. You know, I love how MailChimp has grown over the years from being just an email service provider to really being your one-stop dashboard for marketing your business. I mean, aside from sending email, of course, it ties into hundreds of other services like Hootsuite, Zapier, Salesforce, Eventbrite, and so many others. Get everything you need all in one place and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domains. With free private domain registration and your choice of domains across all the 400 plus domain extensions out there, how can you turn that down? Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Since 2004, SiteGround has been about empowering web professionals and beginners alike to build better, faster, safer websites easily, not having to worry about hosting. Visit SiteGround.com forward slash revision path and get 60% off on all hosting plans. 60%! SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, please do me a huge favor. Of course, subscribe to us on iTunes. And we're not just on iTunes, I should mention. We're on Stitcher. We're on Google Play Music. Uh, you can subscribe via Android. If you go to our website, there's links to all of these. But subscribing on iTunes really is kind of what gives us the biggest boost. Um, so subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a minute or two. And it really, really helps to show out by bumping us up in the iTunes rankings for design podcasts. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Visit us today at yepitslunch.com for all your design, strategy, and creative consulting needs. And if you like the work that we're doing with Revision Path, then please consider becoming a patron. You know, now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. Pledge level started just $1 a month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.